We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the Liberal Democrats' prospective parliamentary candidate uh, for Edinburgh North and Leith, Bruce Wilson. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on. Uh, first of all, I'd like to ask, uh, now Edinburgh North and Leith uh, is currently uh, has currently uh, been held by the SNP and has previously been held uh, by the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you confident about taking the seat uh, for the Liberal Democrats? I think when you go back to 2005 and 2010, you see we came second both those times. Mm-hmm. And then we just missed out in 2010 and the coalition happened and you look at what happened around all of Scotland, the SNP surge and a sense that people wanted to punish the Lib Dems for the coalition. We know now, having learned the lessons of that coalition, that there is a latent Liberal Democrat vote there. And it's all about how we articulate that. And I think if there's ever going to be a time in recent history where votes are up for grabs it's now because brexit is the main issue for this whole campaign hmm. uh, do you perhaps worry somewhat that uh, because of the popularity of the smp across uh, scotland and their quite you know uh, firm insistence that they are the party of remain that they may take some support away from the Liberal Democrats who have until now been quite clearly seen across the UK as the party for Remain? I mean, if you ask me, yeah, you, you ask me if I worry about it. Yeah, I, I do worry about it. Um, I worry about them using that argument to try and dupe voters to vote for something they don't really want to that would be something towards Scottish independence. Mm. The SNP aren't really a party of Remain. They're a party of leave the UK and the EU and rejoin, because that's what the EU have said they'll do. In Edinburgh North and Leith, we voted 78.2% to remain in the EU. So we know that even if vote share for some remainers went to the SNP, we know that we could still win based on the remainder of that. And we know that a lot of SNP voters are Brexiteers as well. Mm. So I don't think we're in as bad a position with the Remain vote, as the SNP would have us think. Do you uh, do you think that the Remain alliance between uh, the Liberal Democrats and other parties is something that will help you uh, in this election? Looking at it, you see it around the rest of the UK, and it has been quite beneficial, for example, in Brecon and Radnorshire, where um, we got Jane Dodds in. In Scotland, the SNP, firstly, aren't interested in it. Mm. I think they see uh, independence as something they can achieve, and they're not even willing to shelve it for a short period of time to stop Brexit. It would be good if we could have some kind of uh, remain vote so that we can stop Brexit. The SNP aren't keen on it, and frankly, given the track record in government up here, I'm not sure how I would feel if it was to come on the agenda. Uh, for quite a long time, 
Scotland and Scottish politics has been associated with the Labour Party. The Labour Party's uh, ranking in the opinion polls in Scotland has fallen quite considerably over the last few years. Do you think there's an opportunity for the Liberal Democrats to replace the Labour Party as the sort of perhaps centre-left or uh, left unionist party in Scotland? It is crazy to think that Labour were seen as pretty much impenetrable up here. And then in that big SNP surge, they got annihilated because the SNP realised actually they can stop being called the Tartan Tories and trying to hammer the right-wing nationalist vote mm. and just hit that surprisingly spongy Labour vote. I think for us as Lib Dems, yeah, absolutely. We can we find ourselves in this unique position whereby we are unambiguously in favour of the Union, but also the EU, whereas Labour just have not shown that clarity. But we won't just take votes from Labour voters. We'll take votes from more kind of traditional, soft, conservative voters who aren't happy with the way that Brexit's being run and don't necessarily even want to leave the EU. Now, recently, um, we've seen in terms of polling, the Liberal Democrats perhaps not in uh, a stronger position as they were during the European elections earlier this year. Why do you think that is? I think we probably got a bit cocky. Uh, during our autumn conference by pushing forward with the revoke Article 50 motion. It was a move that was designed to ensure that people knew that if they vote a Liberal Democrat and a Liberal Democrat government came in, it was enough of a democratic mandate to show that we can stop Brexit. We've never given up on uh, supporting a people's vote. In fact, it's kind of disappointing that Labour have kind of now come that way, Mm. but still not gone unambiguously in favour of it. I guess part of the reason that we feel that we're getting squeezed in the polls, although, again, I don't get that sense in the doors, is that classic issue that we have with the first-past-the-post system, whereby people will always go for a negative vote. So I don't want Jeremy Corbyn, or I don't want Boris Johnson, or I don't want independence, or I don't want Brexit. And they'll go for the one that they see as most likely to win. And this is why I get all these bar charts from different parties coming through my door. And I know mm-hmm. as Liberal Democrats we've been targeted for our sometimes questionable use of data. Mm. Uh, But I get a lot that's quite spurious in terms of how they see themselves. Uh, And also changing from the national line, the Labour Party up in Edinburgh, North and Leith, say they're a Remain party, but that's not the same in different seats around the UK. Do you think that the um, promotion in some quarters, and by uh, some figures I think uh, Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell have uh, suggested this, the promotion of tactical voting is in some ways going to give a perhaps skewed uh, result at the election? Or do you think that, in fact, tactical voting is something that can be positive if it prevents uh, the Conservatives from forming a majority government? I think there's definitely use for tactical voting, especially in first-past-the-post. But Mm. I think where I am in Edinburgh, North and Leith, we're not in a position where we need to worry about how that's going to affect it. We don't need. We're so heavily remain that I don't really worry about us silently letting the Tories in. Mm. What I do worry about, though, is that kind of vote going towards the SNP, and then next year which was meant to be once in a generation, we find ourselves at another independence referendum, Mm. which having 
dealt with Brexit could be just another nail in the coffin to the United Kingdom. Hmm. Do you think then that uh, if the Liberal Democrats get a substantial amount of uh, MPs, that they would be perhaps more willing if the Conservatives uh, and Labour were the two major parties and each looking for maybe not coalition partners, but confidence and supply partners, that if um, the Conservatives offered a referendum on Brexit, uh, but the Labour Party said that they would also offer a referendum, but there would be the tagline of, oh, we've got to have a Scottish referendum as well. Do you think then that the Lib Dems might be more uh, likely to support the Conservatives in just having a people's vote referendum than uh, rather than supporting Labour and ending up with two referendums in a year? I think given the fact that Joe was from Scotland and my own view on it is that I don't particularly want to support either a Corbyn or a Johnson government. Mm. And I think even something as simple as confidence in supply like the DUP did would be really dangerous for us. What we might, and this has been suggested by uh, senior figures in the party do, is allow a minority government to exist. Mm. And on certain issues, such as a people's vote, vote in favour of that, but deny them any kind of backroom deal where we'll allow some kind of Scottish independence referendum because they've got the SNP on board. Mm. I think it's the same kind, I mean, having grown up in Scotland, it's the same kind of nationalism that drives the SNP as drives the Brexit party or what is now effectively the core of the Conservative party. How important do you think it is that when discussing uh, issues that are not Brexit, that we don't get um, sort of sucked into this idea that these issues can be dealt with once Brexit is over, which is a main part of the uh, Conservatives' campaign, that even when, or if, Brexit is dealt with, these issues might not necessarily be dealt with. So it does annoy me how much time we've wasted on Brexit and how much legislation has not been passed that's critical, stuff that had cross-party support. Mm. Looking at how we've procrastinated over the climate crisis, you can just see how the younger generation in particular are getting fed up with us as adults, watching us mess up Brexit, doing something that inherently is damaging for the UK instead of saving the environment. From my own view on it, I think we should stop Brexit because it will make us more affluent. It will unleash the power of both government and the economy mm. to do the stuff that's critical, like getting carbon neutral. And it's one of these things that um, I've been to a few hustings now and you hear the bluster from other parties and it kind of frustrates me because we love saying that we're environmentally friendly. But the actual reality of what we're trying to embark on with going to carbon neutral is crazy hard. It's some it's up there with the kind of mobilization we had in World War Two and how much it's going to cost our economy. So, yeah, I am frustrated by how long this has taken and how much bandwidth it is. I do sense it's a bit cynical on the conservatives to say we can get Brexit done when we all know very well that. Brexit will not be done after the general election and we'll be talking about it most likely for years to come. Hmm. Uh, I'd now like to uh, move on and just talk about the uh, Liberal Democrats' manifesto. Um, now, one of the most 
eye-catching uh, policies in the manifesto has been uh, the Liberal Democrats skills wallet, which, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, a set amount of money given to adults uh, for adult education at particular uh, stages in life. How, uh, how much of a positive influence do you think the skills wallet would be if it were implemented? Well, I think it's a great policy and I think it's important that we kind of empower people to use that. It's important for me to also mention, though, that's not part of the Scottish manifesto because that's a devolved mm-hmm. issue um, but it's great that we can take this forward and recognize education is not just something that happens up until the age of 21 it's something you can use throughout your life i think it's really good that we put it in and i hope people recognize it for what it is as a open-hearted demonstration that we realize that education is a through life experience uh, how do you think um the manifesto has been reacted to upon the street. Has the uh, manifesto uh, come up at all when you've been campaigning? It's been interesting seeing how, when I'm chatting to people on the doors or on the street, how Brexit and Scottish independence are the two dominant features. And in terms of parts of our manifesto that are getting cut through, what I always go back to is stuff that's really going to change people's lives immediately, like the expansion of early years childcare. Mm. And I think for a lot of people right now, because they see this as a Brexit referendum effectively, or they see it as uh, up here in Scotland, a way of either pro Scottish independence or against Scottish independence, how much of like, how much of the policy is getting missed. It's really difficult to do it at a time as well, when both the conservatives and labor party are making exaggerated claims about what they can spend money on and using it against fairly unsubstantiated figures at the same time as the Liberal Democrats are trying to be as responsible and rigorous in our methods as possible. Uh, How much of an influence do you think that um, the leaders have on individual constituency campaigns? Of course, uh, Joe Swinson uh, is from Scotland. Do you think that that has impacted somewhat on when you've been campaigning on the doorstep? I'd like to think it does. Uh, I'd also like to think that people aren't so tribal as to think that because she's from Scotland, that makes her a better representative of the Scottish people at Westminster. Mm. But from my own view, uh, growing up in the Southern Highlands, it's quite nice to hear someone with a Scottish accent represent you. I remember when Charlie Kennedy was a leader. Uh, and it was great to hear that dulcet uh, tone of Charlie in 2005 and his opposition to the Iraq war. So, yeah, whilst I'd like to say I'm sure people aren't that naive from my own experience, I quite like hearing a familiar voice and a familiar accent. So I expect people will feel similar. Do you think that that has been something that perhaps might have harmed uh, Scottish Labour over the past couple of years, as uh, Richard Leonard uh, was born in Scotland, of course, doesn't have a, a Scottish accent. Do you think that that's something that people in Scotland find particularly reassuring or encouraging? I'm not sure about the accent. I think the issue with Scottish Labour is simply the fact that they've been so challenged in what their position is on different areas and how they've effectively being usurped by the SNP as the key 
left-wing party, mm. they're still going through this period of transition to find out what they are. And I don't think that's helped by the kind of Corbyn movement, whereby those traditional uh, working-class labour seats are feeling a bit isolated from a very London-centric Guardian-reading Labour Party. Uh, now, of course, you uh, have, prior to going into politics, served in the armed forces. And I just wonder, um, how do you feel that uh, the government has been dealing with people who have previously uh, served in the uh, armed forces and then have uh, left? Do you feel that they've been helping these uh, people to reintegrate into society well, or do you think that they've not done uh, a good enough job? So, yeah, from my own view, I think there were systems in place when I left. I took full advantage of them. And right now I work for a company that's an ex-forces scheme to place me in bigger blue chip companies. Mm. In particular with the Armed Forces Covenant, I struggle with it because it's one of these virtue signaling tools that companies use to demonstrate that they employ veterans but I don't think the hoops that they have to jump through to get that label are rigorous enough. And I think more could be done, especially re relating to how we reintegrate into society. Because when you're in the armed forces, you're in this invisible duvet of support of people who recognize what you've been through, uh, who recognize the sacrifices that people have made. And when you leave that, that immediately falls away. So when you start a new job and you're expecting the kind of pastoral care that you get from your superiors in the armed forces, you just don't get that, partially because we don't have as much hierarchy in the civilian world, but also because people just aren't that interested in other people in the same way as we are when we're in the armed forces. Hmm. Uh, does the um, policies of... Uh the Labour Party and the Conservatives in regards to the armed forces, in regards to defence, worry you at all? Looking at the Conservative Party firstly, they effectively take the armed forces vote for granted and it's really interesting to watch how they indicate that they're for forces at the same time as cutting those key areas that people in the armed forces depend on, but also by pursuing policies that aren't aligned to why people join the armed forces. It's telling during when David Cameron was Prime Minister how little guidance there was for these big foreign operations that were running from central government. But when you look at Jeremy Corbyn, and I know often they cite Jeremy Corbyn and his opposition to the Iraq war mm. as being on the right side of history, but Jeremy Corbyn is a leader who's opposed every kind of intervention by armed force in his entire political career. And whilst I'm the first to accept that the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan were not something that I think should be repeated, when we look at the roles we played in Kosovo and Sierra Leone and Bosnia, I think there's a hugely important role for the UK to play in the world that is just completely absent from both parties. And I'd like us as Liberal Democrats to 
take on that kind of humanitarian right to protect role that I grew up with in the 90s. Uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. It's been great uh, to speak to you, Bruce. It's been a very interesting discussion. And I'd just like to ask you one final question. Uh, it's coming up to December. We're recording this in December. The uh, election will, of course, happen in December. So it's been seen as a bit of a, a Christmas election. Uh, so I'd like, I'd like to ask you, what would you like for Christmas? Now, this is a point where I should say world peace, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but I'm not so naive as to say something like that. So I think I'm going to be very busy this Christmas with my new twin girls who were born last week. So I think for Christmas, I'd like a bit of peace and quiet and maybe a couple of glasses of port in my uh, house. But that's about it. Well, I think that's a sentiment that uh, we can all agree with and I think one that we can all hope for. Uh, thank you again. For... Thanks, Will. It's been great to talk to you. It's been great to talk to you as well. Uh, if you would like to uh, listen to the podcast on any platform, you can do so on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker or YouTube. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook at Debated Podcast and if you'd like to email us in regards to this podcast or any other, then you can do so at the debated podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.